G'day, this is Scott. And this is Marty. Welcome to this episode of Church Unchained. This episode of Church Unchained, we're talking to Reverend David Baker about the hope and danger of Christmas. So we're sitting here today with David Baker. Dave, some of our listeners might not know who you are. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Who is uh-huh. David Baker? <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, so I'm uh, what's called the moderator for the Uniting Church in Queensland. So the official line for that is I give pastoral and spiritual oversight for the life of the church in Queensland. I tend to say I do odd jobs for the church. Very odd. Very odd at times. Uh, or I walk, I wander around the state and I speak to our people and I say, you're all doing very well. <laughs> um, so it is about encouraging and helping and... Um, pulling people together and saying, how can we do this better? So it's an interesting time of year in the church. It's Christmas. It's our it's our season, we could say. Yep. It strikes me, and one of the things we wanted to kind of talk about today was that, you know, Christmas, we've built this lovely story Beautiful around story. Christmas. You know, there's angels singing to shepherds. There's White wise men on stuff. camels with golden crowns. You know, there's little babies. The cattle are quiet. You know, everything's lovely. How much of that story that we tell over and over and over how much of that story is based on any biblical account of Christmas? Yeah, well, I I think the snow's not in. There's no snow. <laughs> I don't think so. Oh. Sorry. Um, uh, There's but, a lot of rain in Bethlehem in December. Yeah, it does tend to. So it's winter. It is winter. It, it is, is pretty winter. cool. Yeah. Snows very rarely, but it's a wet winter in that climate. Okay. So um, yeah, it wouldn't be all that. You know, it wouldn't be all that comfortable, really, out in the fields by night. Of the four Gospels, you've got two who tell stories of the birth. You've got Mark, who couldn't be bothered. Uh, Jesus is kind of like a super superhero. He's just, always he's on the go. There. He's always on the go. He yeah. just turned up. Uh, and you've got John, who um, Jesus is this kind of uh, pre-existent figure, yeah. the Logos the word, the reason. So John doesn't bother with it, Mark doesn't bother with it. But the two Gospels that are most interested in presenting Jesus as a fulfilment of Old Testament prophecy and story, they, uh, Matthew and Luke, both big into the narratives, into the, story. The, the birth narratives. Yeah. And how much of the story we tell, we sing about in Carols by Candlelight Nights and supermarket aisles, you know, with the music being yeah, played. Yeah. How much of that's... Well, I think. There. Well, I don't know. I think I. I don't think there was a little drummer boy. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, so I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't think he was in the gig. Yeah. Uh, and contrary to the life of Brian, um, I'm not sure that the Magi actually turned up right on the spot on the day on the day <laughs> and got confused as to which birth they were to attend. So, but but certainly in terms of you know angels, shepherds. Uh, all that kind of stuff, uh, that certainly is in both the stories. Interestingly, Matthew, the angel speaks to the men. Okay. In Luke, the angel speaks to the women. Uh, and, and it's, you know, we talk about Luke's got a bit of a soft spot for those who are on the margins. And um, it's certainly in Luke. Uh, so the angel speaks to Mary in Luke. And Mary is certainly depicted as a strong young woman. Uh, and songs are put into her mouth of great faithfulness mm, and yeah. great um, real the hope of Israel whereas in Matthew Joseph is seen as a really good solid Jewish man who wants to do the right thing yeah. so they have different 
takes and different mm. different perspectives. So that account of Mary is particularly interesting given her cultural standing yeah. at the time. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, certainly in that time, uh, the way Luke presents this story, he paints a picture of a woman uh, giving birth or being pregnant out of wedlock. So um, the honour killing thing is alive and well. So this this uh, this action is very much a out of cultural norm accepted practice action, very very strongly. Yeah. One of the things that strikes me about the Christmas story is that perhaps because we've said it so many times and it's so familiar that we forget how dangerous the story is. Yep. For you, what are the particularly dangerous parts of it? Well, I think it's interesting that in Matthew. You know, the powers that be, Herod, um, immediately identify a threat, immediately see what is happening here uh, as, um, as a threat to his power. Uh, it's not in his plan. So, so there is certainly these themes of, uh, of re- uh, re- uh, reversal, that this is an action that God is doing that is not according to the plans of culture and those in power. And... Um, and so you get the story of the flight into Egypt, the death of the uh, the massacre of the innocents. Um, so it is a yes, and 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 for Mary and Joseph in these stories, these are issues around their social status, their acceptance uh, in their community. Um, you know, there's some deeply challenging themes because Joseph says, oh, "I'll just you know I'll divorce her quietly, and get on with my life." So it does. It's very confronting. Really, um, it's not um, it's not the firstborn after the after wedding and everything's nice and hunky dory and all our hopes visited. Yeah. And it's certainly got all these threats and anxieties in it. Are there clues in the story about why Herod is frightened of this infant child? What what's what's frightening? Well, there's certainly the well, there's this, this whole issue of fulfilment and and of Jesus being the Messiah, so the new leader of Israel and. Um, and that that being a threat to Herod uh, and Herod not wanting to uh, see any presence apart from his own plans uh, for... In fact, Herod uh, late, later killed his own son. So I think it was uh, Caesar Augustus who made the quip that it's safer to be Caesar, uh, Herod's pig than to be his son. So there are these threats all along the way that, that I think Matthew particularly wants to identify because Matthew is... Very strong about Jesus, the the, the, yeah. the coming Messiah, yeah, who's going to turn things upside down. Can you elaborate on what the killing of the innocents was? So, uh, so the story goes: uh, the Magi, the wise men, um, came for, saw the star, believed that uh, they were being led to the birth of a, a new king. Um, so they go to Herod. So they go, "Oh, new king! There's Herod the, king. the king. There's the palace. Simple." So, so they go to Herod and say, okay, we've come to worship the king and give him these presents. And Herod goes, what bloody king? <laughs> There's no baby in my house. And then they explain and he says, oh, oh, yes, Bethlehem. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, when you go there, you know, come back and tell me and uh, I'll be able to worship him too. So they head off and do their thing. But they decide to head back another way. But Herod, in not being able to find out exactly who and where the, uh, the baby is, uh, decides to slaughter uh, every child under two in the region. That's how the story goes. So uh, the Magi are warned in the dream to go back another way. 
Uh, Mary and Joseph are warned in a dream to ping off and go to Egypt. Uh, so they shoot through. So, uh, but Herod uh, executes, uh, does, does the massacre. And so that's, that's, so the story, the key to those things is this issue of a new Messiah. But also Matthew wants to get Jesus to Egypt so that he can write about the fulfillment of prophecy. So Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son. So for Matthew to, to reinforce this idea of fulfillment of prophecy, Jesus has got to get to Egypt. And, and of course, Matthew also writes that uh, the, the slaughter of the innocents is a fulfillment of prophecy because in Jeremiah, Jeremiah talks about Rachel weeping for, his, for her children. And so uh, that's seen uh, to be uh, Rachel's tombs just outside of Bethlehem. So Matthew's pulling this Old Testament, uh, these Old Testament stories and drawing together a story that says, here is Jesus, the fulfillment of, of uh, Old Testament prophecy. Some of those elements are not in the Luke story. They're not. As no, as no, as no the massacre's not in Luke's story. And the, the wise men, the magi? Uh, they're not in Luke not either. either. No. So. Did they ride camels? Uh, we don't know how many there were. How many? That no, was, there was my three. next question. There, there must have been three. We, yes, I know, I know, I know. But no, we don't know how many there were, and we don't know if they rode camels or donkeys or Shanks pony. But we know there were three gifts. We know there were three gifts. And again, you know, sim- the symbolism is all there about uh, Jesus' life in those gifts. Yeah. The United Church in Queensland this Christmas is talking about hope has a name. Yep. So what's the what's the mix of between hope and danger? I mean, we've talked uh-huh. about some of the kind of dangerous aspects of this story. Where, how do hope and danger mix at Christmas? You do have to think about when God intervenes in the world, that is a hope, and God's intervention is inevitably, as I think uh, Matthew and Luke particularly present, although all the Gospels in a way, that hope is a hope that upsets those for whom the current arrangements are working just fine. Thank you very much. So um, Mary in Luke talks about, you know, here is the coming Messiah. The poor are going to get what they deserve, what they should have, and the rich are going to be turned away empty. So, so for those for whom the current arrangements are working, uh, the coming of the Messiah is certainly presented uh, as deeply challenging. And for those for whom uh, are looking for a better life, um, the, the Messiah is a hope for, is a space of hope and opportunity. Yeah. And yet that Messiah doesn't live up to some of the expectations absolutely. of what a Messiah should be. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I think, I mean, for me, I mean, I think that's one of the really fascinating things of the gospel is Jesus, as Jesus takes his life's journey, there's a question, who is the Messiah and what is the, what is the Messiah to be? And it seems to me that at the point when the successful political campaign in Galilee is ready to make him king, after his miracles and preaching campaign, he by that time has come to the decision that that's not the journey of the Messiah. The journey of the Messiah is the way to the cross. Uh, so he repudiates that um, understanding of Messiah. I have to confess, I just watched The Life of Brian last week. Okay. So scenes from that movie are running off yes, flashing through my head. I can understand. I'm not that. the Messiah. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We have his sandal. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're listening to Church Unchained, and we're exploring the hope and danger of Christmas with David Bacon. One of the questions I'm really interested in is how does this 
2,000-year-old hopeful, dangerous Christmas story cut through now. Yeah. We have this sanitised, mythologised Christmas legend that is lovely, not dangerous, and yeah. sometimes it's even hard to see the hope. So how does, yeah. that, how does that story cut through? I, look, now? I think it still... I, I think it still touches all of us uh, who've either had children as a couple or have participated in the whole journey of loving a baby and understanding the vulnerability of that life and the hope that's invested in that life. So, uh, I mean, birth is such a... Like, it's a bloody rendering of two lives um, and, and it is a traumatic experience and an attendant to it is is um is 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 some of our key i think existential hopes about the generation of a new life the extension of our own life so i, th- I think the story still really gets mm. to really some very existential things for us that's my sense that it still speaks and of course the way in the story is presented with the dangers associated externally um with the questions in the couple over how do, how do I respond to this? What do I do about this? I, I think every parent, well, you know, I think a lot of us as parents, you go, shit, we've got a baby. Sorry, yeah, we don't swear on this podcast. <laughs> oh, I beg your pardon. You know, what do I no, do no, with no, this? No. Uh, how did someone let me take this home? Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Where's, you know, where's, where's the instruction? Where's the qualification I was supposed to have had for this? You know, yeah. I remember driving home from um, up, we were living up in Tagula uh, and driving home with uh, our first child back from the hospital and saying to myself, well, I'm now the target of every marketing campaign in the world and I'm a sitting target, I'm just, just subject to it. But anyway, I, I, I do think it touches some of those really existential mm. questions about hope, life, love, meaning, vulnerability, uh, challenge, mm. They're all there, I yeah, think. Yeah, and that hope and danger are mixed there in the, in the birth of any. Yeah, they absolutely are. They yeah. absolutely are um, because you. Well, one, there's you know. It's never guaranteed. It's never yeah. guaranteed. Yeah. It is never guaranteed, and then the whole you know you know uh, that you're committing to whatever will happen in this child's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In many respects, the actual giving birth part is the easy bit. Yes. Only well, one of us in the conversation could say that. Right? <laughs> well, what struck me when 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 uh, our firstborn, you know, when our first child turned up was everyone who came and visited us told us, "Oh, it's really good until X," <laughs> and it was the age of their child. Yeah. So whether they were seven or fifteen or twenty-one or twenty-eight or thirty or forty, that you know, they related back to this challenge. I'm yeah, going, "Oh, geez, this is going to be fun." I think it just does go to that challenge. Can we go back a little bit to look again at some of those external dangers uh, in the biblical story around Mary and Joseph and them escaping to Egypt, fleeing from Herod? You know, there's a lot of parallels there between their story and the plight of asylum seekers. Absolutely. And it's a particular time of year that that story is very clear in, in alignment. This is a really poorly worded question. That's okay. This is why you write the question first. <laughs> but I guess I want to ask you how you see those stories yeah. align well, and I, what I do, do with it. Yeah, I know, because it, it is, you, you would argue it wasn't Matthew's intention to bring that into the space because he needed to get Jesus to, to Egypt for his own reasons. 
I, and I think, again, it goes to the power of the story that is the vulnerability of life. And it goes to the story that um, uh, the structures of society, uh, while, we, while we build them and construct them and make them as strong as they can be, as we're seeing uh, in Syria, those structures uh, are built on fabrics of faith and trust that can be very, very fragile. And so families who were living quite comfortable lives in Aleppo or Raqqa or Damascus and could see their life planning out in a, in a normal way like any, any of us in the West are now faced with terrible circumstances. So the story, the story does speak to that, I think, underlying vulnerability to life that we all kind of know about but we don't talk about. Um, and uh, the fact that uh, the structures we create are human structures that, that don't necessarily stand the test of time or of conflict, uh, which then does go to the question, well, for those of us for whom these structures are in place and working, what do we say to those for whom they've fallen over and no longer work? And if we think we can put the wall up and go, we're safe here, then I think we're sadly mistaken and I think we're not understanding our common humanity. My last question is very personal. I have to preach on Christmas Eve. Beauty. How do I how do I talk about some of these things with a with a gathered community that includes lots of little kids, and not have people you know ringing me up and saying you just ruined Christmas for uh-huh. your kids. You, know, you <laughs> took away the stable and the wise man. And Let's not talk about Santa Claus. <laughs> I, I look to be honest. I don't believe you should take any of that away. I don't see the point of that. I don't I don't see the point of a reductionist modernist approach um, uh, to the stories of Christmas. I think that's just Scrooge. Um, so I, I, I think these stories need to be told and celebrated and I think they need to be brought into our life so that we can see where they are for us. But we're mining the story for the trees that are within it, in that sense. Yeah, yeah I guess I think we're inviting into the story. I think we're actually inviting people to the avenues so that people can see there, this is where it connects to me. I get that. I understand that. I understand Joseph. I understand Mary. I understand the Herod in me. So I, I think it's about that, bringing it open, cracking it open. Christmas is a time when a lot of people reconnect with the church, whether or not they've previously been part of the church. Why do you think that is? I, I, look, I think some people, this story is a part of their, their life's tradition and they and they they want to just reconnect with it again. You know, I, th- I think we get worried inside the church of people who turn up only at Christmas and Easter or whatever. Um, and I, I don't worry about that too much. Um, some of the folk that come to Corona Downs Uniting, where I worship, I've known them from the soccer club and you know, the other clubs around town and they turn up Christmas Day and... It's always nice to see them. The uh, maybe they, you know, they have a sense of how they live their life. That this is this is the touch point for them. Uh, it's certainly we try to certainly be invitational about, at this time about what the community's about. I feel like saying you don't look a gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's this song somewhere that one of the old songs, probably of the seventies, that talks about. The role of the church is to carry for humankind the mystery of faith. So that's what we do. 
and that some only want to come in and kind of drink at the well in that in the way that we offer it on in public worship a couple of times a year well that's what they do mm. uh, for me you know I'm more of a sinner I need to drink at the well more often than that that is a great place for us to stop I think on that bombshell <laughs> okay so thanks for joining us today thank uh, you a blessed nice. Christmas to you you too uh, and have fun Christmas Eve oh I will yeah. <laughs> thanks a lot Thanks for joining us for this episode of Church Unchained. We want to invite you to join the conversation with us. Why not join us on Twitter at UCAQLD or use the hashtag Church Unchained. How else can people join in, Marty? You can also jump onto the UnitingChurch.Queensland Facebook page and join the conversations there. And again, if you have any dangerous or innovative ideas that you want to share with us, email us at communications at UCAQLD.com.au. And join us next time at Church Unchained.